It's uh, May 2nd. Happy May 2nd. Happy May, everybody, to those that were observing May Day yesterday. Uh, and to those that are uh, celebrating Eid uh, today, yeah. Eid Mubarak. Yeah, Eid Mubarak. So yeah. The, the wrap up of Ramadan and, and obviously a, a, a big day and a, a significant celebration uh, for our Muslim brothers and sisters that sure. tune into the show. Uh, a good Monday morning to the rest of you, to John Hicks, the technical producer writing Shotgun Jespo here with you. Uh, good weekend, pal. It was okay. I heard you uh, got out of the city, too. Got a little yeah, rest and went, relaxation. Went, went and spent some time with the with the folks down in Calgary, which is great. And Beautiful. got the family together. And Beautiful. Always nice to be able to make that happen. Get the cousins together. Oh. A lot of energy in the room. You know, six-year-old, five-year-old, two-year-old. Oh, my. This is awesome. <laughs> and grandma and grandpa's hearts are full. And uh, the ping-pong table saw lots of action and all that good stuff. Nice. Yeah. And um, I'm... Uh, I'm trying to decide whether or not to open with something heavy, too. I, why not? It's real talk. It's sure. real life. Charles Adler coming up in just a little bit, by the way. The Titan of Talk going to join us, and we're really excited to make an announcement relating to Charles Adler, too. Uh, Dr. Madhu Pai will be joining me, um, pay rather, in uh, about half an hour's time, a, a professor, Canada Research Chair at McGill University in mm -hmm. Epidemiology, talking about vaccines and global vaccine equity. Uh, he's originally from India, and he paints this. Uh, he, he spoke in front of a uh, House of Commons standing committee just last week. He's going to talk to us about this, but he paints this really stark picture, a contrast between his 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 country now, uh, where he's living now in Canada, yeah. his country of origin in India, and what access to vaccines looked like. He talks what his last April looked like when he got his first dose. And the fact that uh, globally, as we speak, mm -hmm. as we sit here today in May of 2022, still just under 3 billion people globally have not had access to their first shot. Jeez, it's a pretty stark contrast between here and there. Eh? Right. I was talking to a buddy uh, while texting a pal over the weekend, and he's asking me, he says, do you have your second booster yet? So we're talking <laughs> shot number four. Yeah. And 2.8 pe billion people around the world haven't had shot number one. So mm -hmm. that's that's a heavy one um, and something worth uh, paying attention to. I found it over the weekend as well that, it, that a, a childhood pal of mine had, had, had actually passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. And it just my heart's a little heavy right oh, now for obvious reasons. The last time I talked to this, I didn't even tell you this this morning. We've just been, been busy getting our yeah. getting our show ready to go. And, and sculling coffees and getting ready on a Monday morning. But I'm kind of walking with that today, and I'll be walking with that this week. And I know that a lot of people are walking with heavy things in life. That's just mm -hmm. real life. And maybe sometimes it makes it a little bit easier to to lighten the load a little bit by by sharing it with people. Um, but what really struck me, and, and my pal's name, Kenny, and may he rest in peace, just a beautiful guy, just the biggest smile in the world. And I'm late to the game. I didn't, I hadn't actually heard that he passed away a short time ago. Um, but uh, leaves behind a, a, a family, you know, young kids. And the last time that my parents said to me, I was talking to him this weekend, they said, when was the last time you saw him? The last time I talked to him was a great catch-up, an hour-long catch-up in the parking lot outside Another pal's memorial, wow. uh, buddy who had passed away from a from a, a really stubborn and uh, an aggressive brain tumor. And it's just to me, I'm having one of these kind of life is fleeting kind of moments. Of course. And so um, um, obviously it's it's uh, incredibly sad. And at the same time, you you try to take these opportunities and, and I guess apply them to your perspective with your loved ones around you and and remind everybody around you how grateful you are to have them in your life. So that that's kind of where I'm at this morning. Life is short. Be good to each other. I mean, my uh, grandfather passed away about a week and a half ago. And so, you know, and you look back and you say, you know, I could have he lives in Ontario. I could have flown out more. I could have zoomed more. I could have called more. And so, yeah, something to keep in mind is just, you know, life is fleeting. 
Yeah, brother. tell someone you love them today. Give yeah. them a call. Text them right now. Um, you know, if you're listening to this later while you're walking the dog, press pause on the podcast. Do your thing. Yeah. Uh, pull you your car. Up. If you're on the highway. Pull over to the next rest stop and make yeah. that phone call. You know, you got to make. And maybe this is like speaking to somebody. I don't know. I just feel compelled to share it. For sure, it Thank is. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. You've been putting this brave face on for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And uh, anyway, much love yeah. uh, to you and to everybody else that's walking with that today. Um, we've got a great show in store. Uh, we're going to be celebrating today. Positive reflections every once in a while. You know, presented by Kubi Energy. We're like. Read your letters. And we, we have to leave a couple emails on the shelf for this week, which means we're already locked and loaded for next week. But keep them coming. But every once in a while, we want to do a, a quick interview with somebody that's impacting change in their community, that's giving us a reason to find positivity. And there's this uh, amazing group, actually a local one here, uh, we're going to talk about this. This has single moms uh, in the spotlight heading into Mother's Day weekend next weekend. So uh, that's going to be a great story. That's coming up in just under an hour from now. The show is presented by our friends at Bitcoin Well and uh, they're Canada's first publicly traded Bitcoin ATM company. You know, there's a lot going on with Bitcoin right now. A lot of people over the weekend focusing on on the price of Bitcoin and how relevant that is or the value of Bitcoin, some people might want to call it. If you have questions about that, you want to ask direct questions, no BS to somebody, a real-life human who's going to get back to you, we recommend Bitcoin Well. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. All right. Well, this weekend, a lot going on across the country, obviously. And uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, an apology uh, for the church's involvement in in Canada's uh, horrific history of residential schools, the Archbishop uh, referring to it, the leader of the Church of England on a, a visit to Saskatchewan, a terrible crime. Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Of course, this blood ban, this Canadian blood services blood ban lifted. How significant is it? Uh, we're going to be covering that uh, over the course of this week. And we've, we've got interview requests in a couple booked and some statements as well from advocates across the country that have been working on that blood ban. Of course, we had our conversation with Conservative Party leadership hopeful Jean Charest on Friday. And I want to ask our next guest about this and then those demonstrations in Ottawa as well. You see that this rolling thunder convoy. Johnny, we, can we tee this thing up? We want to want to take a look at this. This is this was just one of the bits of video. And there, there was a lot of sort of citizen reporting and some actual reporting as well on the ground there. And we were able to get a general sense of what the environment was like in the city that saw that three week occupation just a few months ago. This was this past weekend in our nation's capital. As you can see here, you've just you got hundreds of people marching through the streets. And uh, for the benefit of those that are listening in on the podcast, they're waving Canadian flags, but uh, chanting USA, USA, USA to, uh, to, to the confusion of some that we're trying to process exactly what this whole thing was all about. I wonder if our next guest qualifies in, in that group. I, I, I saw him refer to it as Woodstock for the witless over the weekend. He is the titan of talk. He is an RTDNA Lifetime Award winner. He's an Emmy Award winner, a Canadian talk legend, Charles Adler. A good Monday morning to you, my man. USA. USA, USA. <laughs> now, if, if that doesn't make you witless when you're protesting for what you're calling freedom in this country, USA, USA. What do you I think, think it is? Woodstock for the witless is, is, the, is the most benign, the, the nicest thing 
I could possibly have called this crowd. Well, I, I'm trying to make sense. And listen, everybody that talks about this, I, I asked Mr. Shrey about this on Friday. I said, what would your message be to the demonstrators? He said, my message, and he played it very safe, Chuck. He said, my message would be that they have every right to be there and that they have a right to be heard and all those types of things. And I thought that was a very safe answer, but he's not wrong, is he? I mean, we must protect, of course, vociferously uh, the right to protest in our nation's capital. But a lot of people over the weekend I saw that even objectively looking at this going, what's the protest about? I'm not sure I understand the message. Do you? Well, yeah, they were going through the streets of Ottawa screaming uh, anti-vax uh, stuff, uh, the same old stuff we've been enduring for the last few years. You know, vaccines kill people, vaccines maim people, vaccines are bad for you. Uh, they were talking about the international elites, uh, this this pedophile ring, this QAnon stuff uh, that uh, is mostly in the States, but some has come over into, into Canada, especially to those who chant USA, USA and are on, on Fox and Breitbart, you know, all day long and inhaling that stuff. So when you're in the streets of the, the nation's capital and you're talking about how the country is run by a pedophile ring and you're screaming USA, USA, I mean, what else is there to talk about except for one thing? We're talking about a few hundred people, Ryan. There were 10 times as many, maybe 50 times as many at West Edmonton Mall on the weekend. There were obviously far more people at the Oilers game. There were more people in the churches. There were more people in the bingo parlors. There were more people in the casinos. There were more people almost anywhere except this place. But uh, is this an ignore them at your own peril type situation? I mean, like with regards well, to like politicians or the general public, it's a it's 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 a is it a barometer in a way of where some people are at? And if so, what is it saying? Well, I'm not going to give you one of these uh, safe answers. Uh, you know, they have the right to do one. No, 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 you know, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, they've got the right. They've got the right. I'm not saying they don't have the right. I'm saying that we as people who cover this stuff also have a right to ask ourselves, do they represent five million Canadians, 10 million Canadians? Do they represent 500 Canadians? And I think that's that that's fair ball for a discussion because I personally think they represent a minority of a minority of a minority, and they've gotten way too much oxygen in terms of media. Yes, Mr. Charest, they have a right to do this. We also have a right to change the subject. Yeah, and so yeah, so here's the question. I mean, does this really deserve to be the lead in our conversation today, you and me? I mean, Canadian Blood Services lifted the blood ban. The Archbishop apologizes. Are you ready to just put this story to bed? Well, I'm ready to put it to bed. One of the reasons it becomes the lead is because of uh, the advance work done by the various media organizations, uh, some of whom you know you and I have worked for. I mean, they. You know, over the weekend, I mean, Thursday, Friday, they decide that something is happening here. Something's starting on a Thursday or Friday and going throughout the weekend. And we're going to commit a certain amount of resources, camera people, producers, reporters, and all of that. And so that just naturally becomes the lead because that's what they're devoting their time to. Now, if they had known that only a few hundred people would show up for this witless Woodstock, maybe they wouldn't have committed all those resources. But once that commitment is made, that determines what the lead is. Does the Ottawa Police Service deserve some credit for how they managed this one, having learned some, a few tough lessons a couple months ago? Absolutely. And if you want to do, you know, throw a snowball at the, uh, you know, Trudeau government, you can say, well, they seem to be able to get this under control without uh, an emergencies act. Now, it's also fair to say that last time there was, uh, you know, a, a lot more uproar. Uh, there was a lot more damage being done. Uh, there were scared people. Some people were panicking. Some people couldn't go to work for weeks. So it was a much bigger deal last time. And so they could argue, I guess, that maybe they needed the Emergencies Act. 
But in either case, no emergencies act needed to be uh, used. Just basic bread and butter, mainstream police tactics. I don't know whether there'll still be stories about, you know, people who were thrown under horses or cars or trucks or buses or whatever all that crap was they talked about last time. But by the way, I think the reason they're screaming USA, USA, USA is they're hoping they've got their fingers crossed and they're, they're praying to God that they'll get on Fox News. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the mark, isn't it? If, if you wind up talking to Tucker Carlson, uh, th- yeah. then your message has resonated. Well, if you if you if you get a meeting with Friar Tuck, that's a big deal in, in right wing you know circles. I mean, that, you know, he is now uh, the pope of the right wing. And I'm not just saying that I'm, I'm talking about multiple millions of people are waiting for him uh, to make an announcement. I mean, they're 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 hoping and praying that Tucker Carlson wants to become the president of the United States. And who knows? He might do that. Charles, we didn't see uh, prominent. I mean, unless there, there was one flying under the radar, unless I'm missing something, we didn't see prominent political support this time around. You didn't see a lot of MPs, let alone leadership hopefuls out amongst the masses this weekend. Do you read into that or am I reading too much into that? No, I mean, these are these are fickle people. If uh, if 10,000 people had shown up, then uh, Pierre Polyev probably would have helicoptered in for it. But when you've only got, uh, you know, fewer people than you have in your, your average casino at two o'clock in the morning, what's the point? Let's turn our attention to uh, just outside Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, the leader of the Church of England uh, delivering an apology. Uh, The Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Justin Welby, apologized for the church's role in what he said was turning a blind eye to abuses suffered by survivors of Canada's residential school system. He was visiting James Smith Cree Nation, which is a couple hours, about 200 kilometers northeast of Saskatoon. He said that the church allowed and turned a blind eye to hell for indigenous children for more than a century. He said he promised to take action. Quote, I'm sorry. I am more sorry than I can say. I am ashamed. I'm horrified. People are asking what action looks like and whether that means that the Church of England may get off its wallet with its estimated assets of $13 billion Canadian when it comes to reparations. Otherwise, your thoughts? Well, just for the record here, because some people say that people like us don't care about the facts. We care assiduously about the facts. The Church of England, ladies and gentlemen, the Church of England, for anyone who's watching this anywhere in the world, let it be said that the Church of England is even richer than Tucker Carlson. And if the Church of England wants to talk about action, action is measured in this world in currency, whether it's, uh, you know, mainstream currency or cryptocurrency, the Church of England is going to have to cough up some coin. When it comes to the apology uh, issued by the Pope a short time ago, about a month ago now, approximately, uh, the apology by the Archbishop here, do you get the sense that this is moving or trending in a positive direction when it comes to actual reconciliation uh, for a journey that's been a long and arduous one for survivors? I mean, there were those even this weekend uh, that were quoted some great reporting by CBC News, for example, spoke to some survivors like Samuel Hardlot, who said, regardless of the fact that the apology was issued in front of about 20 survivors that were able to attend said quote it doesn't feel good uh he had just heard about the event from a facebook friend said we're always the last ones to hear about these things a lot of things happened to us we wanted to share a lot of people back home didn't even know until it was too late today and you try to get a sense of of whether or not these things are being taken seriously Uh, do you get the sense that it is and that there will be progress for the 
thousands of survivors and descendants, the multi-generational impact of this? Well, you know, the, the, the thing is, uh, Ryan, that both of us have to stipulate it because, you know, it may not be obvious enough, but, but that we are not Indigenous people hmm. and we cannot speak for Indigenous people. We can only speak for ourselves. And, you know, if I go into my own moral compass, much more has to be done here, but it does have to be done with dollars or crypto, if you like, but it, it there has to be some sort of compensation. And I also would uh, really appreciate it, whether it's the Archbishop of Canterbury or the Pope, if they were to talk about some specific things that went on, because every time they just throw this out as a generalization, it always looks to me like some lawyer told them to do this. It always looks to me like they didn't do any real research. Now, you and I both know how we feel about broadcasters and podcasters and columnists who just throw their opinions out there and don't have any facts married to those opinions. I mean, opinions are interesting, but opinions that are not tethered to facts really aren't. And to me, apologies that aren't tethered to some specific information, which gives me the impression that the person who's speaking and spouting and apologizing actually got off his ass and decided to do some homework. I still don't have the impression that the Pope or the Archbishop, with all due respect to these Holy Fathers, I just don't have the impression they've actually done that. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the question. And, and I, w- I would want to put the same one to, to Real Talkers and to our audience. Um, uh, and obviously, as you note, Charles, the most important, I mean, truly the only perspective that matters here is the perspective of Indigenous people in Canada, in particular survivors of residential schools or, or those close to them. Um I, I do also think that the, the general public sense of whether or not there's meaningful action being taken is relevant. And I'd like to put that to our audience and open this up for conversation and, and solicit your responses. Our email inbox is always open to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We're connecting with Charles Adler, a talk radio legend across the country. Uh, and uh, Charles, this interesting story uh, broke late last week and we paid a bit of attention to it. We'll, we'll follow up on it this week. Canadian Blood Service is um, asking Health Canada to uh, allow it to scrap questions about gender or sexuality when screening potential donors and ask about higher risk sexual behavior instead. If it's not implied, if it's not obvious, uh, men who have sex with men, uh, members of the LGBTQ2S plus community, uh, men, trans men have been banned essentially from donating blood for many years uh, amidst advocacy efforts and in some cases human rights complaints and uh, this step uh, being described last week as major progress but it leaves some ground to cover still Uh, Canadian blood services will now be asking potential donors if they've been tattooed or engaged in intravenous drug use as a way to help prevent diseases including HIV been transmitted they'll focus on sexual behavior not orientation Uh, In other words, potential donors by the end of September coming up this fall will be asked if they've had new or multiple sexual partners over the last three months, regardless of gender or sexual orientation. And then if the answer is yes, they'll be asked whether or not they had anal sex with any of those partners. And if they have, they'll need to wait three months since that activity before donating blood. So it allows gay men or men who have sex with men to donate blood, Charles, I suppose, so long as in that context they're celibate. So I don't want to take away from the move and I'm not a gay man approaching this story. How are you processing the story? Well, once again, I've got to say what I just said a few moments ago about, you know, non-indigenous and I'm not in any kind of uh, personal way 
uh, connected to this story, but I'm personally connected uh, to the country. And I can't offer an apology on behalf of the country, but I really do want some people to apologize for this practice of discrimination. It's one thing to ask people about uh, their sexual practices and their specific sexual practices because that may impact on the quality of the blood. But to ask people about their orientation is disgusting. It was disgusting 30 years ago. It was disgusting 20 years ago. And if people are still doing that, you know, in the last few minutes, it's disgusting 20 minutes ago. This is not the country that I know. And it's about freaking time that this got done. I'm glad it did. But man, did it ever take, what's your thought on that, Ryan? Hasn't this taken way too long? I've been, I've been discussing um, gay people being banned from giving blood. I've been discussing this for over 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like a close friend of mine, this is something that impacts him personally. And uh, it's something that's, that has quite frankly infuriated and offended him for many years. Um, and, and we're working on getting some conversations on the air this week on this, because I want to talk to people who who in particular have filed human rights complaints and, and people who who have have lived experience and what it felt like to have your blood banned. I'm not comparing this in any way, shape or form, Charles, but I do have somewhat of an interesting angle of approach to this story. You know that I studied for a year. My first year of post-secondary education was in England, and it was right around the height of that mad cow disease when that was a real concern. And because I had uh, eaten beef. Uh, in England, within a certain window of time, I still can't donate blood about, you know, 25 years later, almost now. And I, I'm certainly not comparing that to the human rights angle of the LGBTQ2S plus community. But, but but what I've always wondered is, and I'm just a civilian here. I mean, we're about to have a Canada research chair in epidemiology join us in about 10 minutes. But I'm, I'm far from that, Chuck. But I but I will say I've always thought it interesting that we're not yet to a point where 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 our screening processes don't allow for certain things to be caught while at the same time Canadian Blood Services is putting out a direct appeal to Canadians all the time. They're desperate. They need Canadians to give blood. They don't have enough. The blood bank is always threatened. And to me, I've always wondered, just as a civilian, as a layperson, certainly not as as uh, someone in the lab that knows exactly what they're talking about, I'm surprised that we don't have our screening up to snuff yet where we can start to accept more blood than we can. Well, my, my, my guess is there are many groups that are being discriminated against, but I'm just guessing. I'm not an epidemiologist. I sure am glad that you're about to, to, to speak to one, because as I said earlier, you know, opinions are, are only worth something if they're married to actual uh, knowledge and data. But the knowledge and data has been with us for years that you cannot figure out whether or not the blood that you're getting is the blood that you need simply based on a person's orientation. Yeah, that was bigotry. Yeah. And uh, so so in that context, a major step forward. And, and I want to be clear, I'm not comparing myself. I'm not I'm not referring to my situation as as discrimination. I just I just think it's interesting that still 25 years later, uh, people that, you know, chowed down on a couple hamburgers in the north of England can't donate blood in Canada a quarter century later. Now, the move has been celebrated by Canadian Blood Services, and that now is the story. Of course, we always want to look forward as 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 purveyors of talk. We want to look forward and say, what does this mean next? But we must focus. I mean, EGAL Canada, the organization, said we definitely welcome the decision by Health Canada to authorize Canadian Blood Services to end their discriminatory blood and plasma donation ban targeting two-spirit, gay, bisexual, and queer men, trans women, and other men who have sex with men. It's long overdue. Uh, and, and several... Uh, 
MPs and elected officials, uh, including ministers, um, LGBTQ2S plus community member, liberal MP Rob Oliphant, for example, uh, shared that his first partner, I didn't know this about him, had died of AIDS 30 years ago, said that the change in donation rules meant that, quote, my blood is as good as anyone's blood in this room. Like, that's major. Uh, it called it a step forward in human rights and ending stigma. We talked to Kat La, uh, Lantang, the executive director, Charles of Bloodwatch. You've spoken to her before. Bloodwatch.org. She says we're very happy to see this finally happen, albeit it's it's been far too long to implement. Uh, donor intake, the deferrals, the questionnaire, the first line of defense to protect the blood system. Uh, the new system will be better prepared for the new world we're facing. This is really interesting, Chuck, which will see new diseases emerge faster than we've experienced before, primarily due to the incredible impact of climate change and animal to human transmission of new pathogens. I talked to Sapria about that on Friday. Uh, Kat says risk based screening is ultimately the best way to screen donors. And we welcome the change that has been a long time coming. So that from bloodwatch.org. Uh, we're entering into a brave new world, aren't we? Charles, before we go, when you, hear, when you hear all this business, when you hear this business about we're expecting many more pathogens to be oh. transmitted from 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 animals to humans, I mean, fingers crossed. But it, it looks like we're headed into into rugged territory, Ryan. Yeah, and that's, I mean, Sapria sent me a note, Sapria Devetti, on on Thursday night, and she said when we talk. We need to talk about this. It was a piece in the Atlantic. If anybody missed it, you can find our podcast archive. You know where our YouTube channel is. Watch Friday's show with Sapria. And uh, a great piece in the Atlantic, Charles, talking about how we're kind of on this precipice. And I think that maybe human, you know, humankind is maybe a little bit closer than we realize uh, to flirting with disaster when it comes to some of the unforeseen impacts of, of climate change, and, and including you know, loss of habitat for certain species that are being pushed closer to human communities and these types of things. Um, what I thought about over the weekend and reflecting on that conversation was that it gives us yet another reason to take climate change seriously. And I, and I wondered, is that maybe what might get people to do it? I mean, it's not the polar ice caps melting. It's, it's not global temperature or gradual global temperature increase. But if it means the advent or a heightened threat of more and more pandemics uh, or more global health crises, I wonder if that might get people's attention when it comes to climate change. Well, we know the impact of the last uh, couple of years. I'm not just talking about the obvious stuff, uh, people being uh, involved in way too much solitude, way too much isolation, uh, consequences, depression, overeating and, and other things. Okay, so we, we, we've talked about all of that. Some people say we've talked about that ad nauseum for the last couple of years. Imagine what it would be like to have the kind of life that we have had for the last two years in this country and many other countries for the rest of our lives. And if um, climate change can be put into its proper context, and if uh, we learn that uh, you know the, the faster the climate uh, is uh, is changing, uh, the more at risk we are for the kind of life that we've had to live for the last couple of years. I mean, if that doesn't get people's attention, I don't know what will, but the problem is, Ryan, and this is so fundamental to everything we talk about, everything ends up being put through the political filter. So everything becomes gaslighted. Everything becomes polarized. And it becomes more and more difficult because you're always taken off focus. Instead of talking about climate change, you're talking about the people who want to deny that climate change exists. Instead of talking about vaccines and how best we combat the various pandemics, we're now talking about the, the, the people attending 
the witless Woodstock in Ottawa. So it's just so difficult to have these conversations because we're always being distracted and interrupted. And sometimes we're being distracted and interrupted by let's call them what they are, political hustlers. There's nothing that gets you more clicks than attacking somebody. Jan Arden earlier uh, today was on Twitter saying, you know, it's really a shame that this is how we're now defining communities, whether it's in Canada or around the world. We're defining ourselves by who we hate. It's not a good thing. Do you treat like, I don't necessarily even just want to say talk radio, talk shows, let's say, because, you know, what is radio anymore? Here we are live streaming. People are going to be listening to this podcast. The, the platforms are changing. The method of delivery is changing, but the craft remains and the importance remains. Uh, do you think that the art of talk, uh, you might call it the art of conversation, does it need to be different now? than it was 30 years ago? Do you need to treat it differently? I mean, you know, I mean, the, the open hour, the open lines, call-in lines where you could field conspiracy theories from all angles. I mean, opinions are important. Dialogue is important. The ability to, to disagree amicably is important. But what would you treat differently these days than you might have 25 or 30 years ago? Well, I think that we have to be brutally honest about the various people who are carrying messages even the ones who are carrying messages that are so benign that they're absolutely worthless. You know, I respect Jean Charest, but when I ask Jean Charest a question, when you ask Jean Charest a question, I want an answer. Telling me that somebody has a right to demonstrate is not an answer to the question. It's like me saying to you, instead of having an answer to your questions, saying things like, uh, oh, that's a really good question, Brian. <laughs> I mean, think about, think, I mean, that's just a verbal tick. It's a, it's a crutch, but it's, it's all about evasion. If you're inviting me to engage you in a conversation, well, let's engage. Let's throw down. Sometimes we're going to agree. Sometimes we're going to disagree. But the, the, the quality of the conversation isn't dependent on how much you and I agree or disagree with each other. It's on whether or not we're exchanging real truth. And if we respond to each other with these, that's a really good question. So-and-so has a right to demonstrate. We're not doing society any favors. We're not doing our audience any favors. And politically, I've got to tell the people like John Charest, you guys aren't doing yourselves any favors. If you just want to run a milk toast, lukewarm, safe campaign, get out of the business because the business you're in is 30 years old. You've got to get into the business that's happening right now. So, I mean, I don't want to sit here and say, uh, John Charest, pick up your phone. The 1990s are calling. Mm. But you better give me a lot more than, well, you know, they've got a, they've got a right to demonstrate. Yeah, I wanted to ask you what you thought about it. We chatted with him on Friday, as you know, and uh, one of the quotes, I mean, we'll always tweet out highlights from our official account at Real Talk RJ and, and, you know, the one that we ended up posting. And people should, I think, check out the entire interview to get a sense of how it went. Talked to him for about 20 minutes. Uh, but I asked him, and you knew the question was coming. It almost feels cliche, Charles, but sometimes you have to ask it anyway about Pierre Polyev's crowds and the rallies and the hype and the social media traction of his videos and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Jean Charest says to me, I don't win polls. I win election campaigns. And I thought, well, it's a bold statement. I guess it remains to be seen. There's a lot of momentum behind that Polyev camp, or at least there appears to be. Well, I mean, my question for Jean Charest would simply be, when's the last time you won an election without being ahead in the polls? When's that happened, Jean? Because the truth is it's never happened. So the truth is, once again, that's the kind of statement that's meaningless. Your opponent is outscoring you in the polls, your opponent is outscoring you in the rallies. Uh, to pretend that's not happening is ridiculous. I mean, do you want to be the do you want to be the king of denial? 
Uh, do you want to be the guy who's, who's fiddling while Rome is burning? If you believe that what Pierre Polyev is saying is dangerous for the party and more important, dangerous for the country, say so. Don't sit there and go, well, you know, uh, the, the polls don't matter and the, the rally size doesn't matter and he's got a right to say it because none of those things are going to attract members. None of those things are going to help you win. If you're seriously committed about winning, engage. This is 2022. This is not a time to just play it safe. We're not living in safe times. Playing it safe will not get you to where you claim you want to go. He is the RTDNA Lifetime Award winner, the titan of talk, Charles Adler, and we're thrilled to let real talkers know, Chuck, that you and I are going to keep a regular date every couple of Mondays. You're going to join us here on Real Talk, pulling no punches, analyzing the issues that Canadians are talking about, bringing your trademark Canadian common sense. We're really looking forward to it. These will not be the dates from hell. (laughs) All right. I love it, Chuck. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. That's uh, Charles Adler. Always such a pleasure to check in with him. If you have something that you'd love to have Chuck take on, uh, you'd love to hear us talk about something in particular, we welcome your feedback 24 hours a day to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Hey, do you subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message? It's free. Obviously, it's easy to sign up. You just go to our website, ryanjesperson.com. You scroll down to the bottom of the page. You sign up to receive our Real Talk Sunday message. If you're already a subscriber then you know that we issued an invitation uh to real talkers to join us coming up this friday night it's opening night at northwest fest it's canada's longest running documentary film festival and opening night we are proud real talk is to be the opening night presenting sponsor for the screening of who you gonna call the story of the legendary artist who brought the Ghostbusters theme song to the world. It's Ray Parker Jr. But the massive success of that song overshadowed an incredible career. Uh, The man himself, Ray Parker Jr., will be in attendance at the screening on Friday night at Metro Cinema, along with filmmaker Fran Strine. I'm excited to be hosting the event. Check your email if you subscribe. We've got a promo code there for you. We have A few tickets left, and we want to send you there free. It's our way of saying thank you for subscribing to our Real Talk Sunday message. Make sure you don't delay in signing up using that promo code. We want to make sure that those tickets are still available when you're available to go. If you do miss that window and it closes, there's an incredible lineup to check out at northwestfest.ca. It runs May uh, May the 5th through the 15th. And again, the International Documentary Festival, Northwest Fest, Canada's longest running. We're really proud to be partnering with them. Same goes with Athabasca University, Canada's online university. You know, there's no better time than right now to look into that degree or that master's program. Go to AthabascaU.ca today for more information. It's a time right now, spring. The tulips are coming up, Johnny. The tulips, I saw them. They're coming up. Daffodils, too. It's a time of renewal, a time of new opportunity. If you've been thinking about going back to school, maybe preparing yourself, better preparing yourself for an opportunity to re-enter the job market, is this speaking to you right now? AthabascaU.ca. Our friends at Dairy Queen, I was in touch with them just this weekend. I said, what do you want us talking about in the month of May? They said the brand new all-star summer blizzard treat lineup, including the newest member of that treat lineup. And I was talking about it last week, Johnny, the Oreo dirt pie blizzard treat. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Also, okay, so you go dirt pie, what's in that? Well, kids will be able to tell you. 
It, it's cookie pieces, gummy worms, fudge crumble blended with the Dairy Queen world famous soft serve. Sure to be a fan favorite. You can also check out the drumstick blizzard with peanuts, the Reese's Pieces cookie dough blizzard. What? And the cotton candy blizzard back alongside the Girl Scout thin mints blizzard. Lots of choices for their all star summer blizzard treat lineup. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that heat up the grill season is here. Everything you need for your perfect Alberta barbecue, whatever the weather, you'll find it at Friesen Brothers. They've got great smoker favorites in their butcher shop with Alberta beef, Alberta pork, Alberta chicken. They invite you to talk to their in-store butcher and learn more about their healthy insights program as well on their website, Friesen.com. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. If you've been like, I don't know, almost every other family right now, especially in Canada where we're seeing rising cost of living and people are trying to find ways to keep a bit of money in their pocket, that might be a perfect time for you to swing on by parkpower.ca. Take a look at what you're paying right now for electricity, natural gas, and internet, and then compare rates with Park Power. You can learn more about their solar rebate buyback program. Learn about their fixed rate options that bring some stability to the mix. And of course, remember, when you sign up at parkpower.ca, use the promo code 2022-REALTALK for $70 off your first bill from Park Power. Our next guest uh, appeared just a few days ago, spoke on uh, COVID vaccine equity, uh, an area of great passion and personal conviction for him in front of the House of Commons Standing Committee on Foreign Affairs and International Development. He's a professor and a Canada Research Chair in Epidemiology and Global Health at McGill University. He's the Associate Director of the McGill TB Centre, and he sits on the World Health Organization's Strategic Advisory Group of Experts on In Vitro Diagnostics. And it's a real pleasure to welcome to the program Dr. Madhu Pei. Uh, doctor, before we get into this, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. How did I do? And uh, first name you got right, Madhu. Uh, last name is Pai. Pai. I was right the yeah. first time and I corrected myself incorrectly. Well, listen, we've been looking forward to speaking with you for quite some time. And I know you had a busy week last week speaking in front of this House of Commons Standing Committee. Can you take us into the specifics of the message that you were intent on delivering to those decision makers? Thank you, Ryan. Yes, I was invited to speak to the House of Commons Committee. Unfortunately, um, the, that meeting got disrupted. Um, and um, I believe by the conservative uh, MPs, and we were all uh, dismissed the witnesses. So we could not, uh, some of us could not speak. But I did submit my written um, comments to the House of Commons, and they have promised to invite us back another time. But here's basically what I said uh, in my written statement to, to the committee that's looking at vaccine equity. Um, I basically pointed out that we have left behind one third of the world's population. That is 2.8 billion people, mostly in low and middle income countries, have not had a single dose of the vaccine. Uh, vaccine coverage in many low income countries is barely at 15%. Uh, the African continent is pretty much uh, seriously under-vaccinated. And even as we are giving fourth doses to ourselves, this act of leaving behind one-third of humanity 
uh, and not doing uh, enough to vaccinate them and share tests and, and uh, treatments, uh, I said, will come back and haunt us. And I expressed my disappointment that Canada, despite being among one of the richest countries in the world, having plenty of vaccines in our stockpile, have refused to do what many of us have been asking for well over a year. We pledged 200 million doses. We've only donated 15 million as of now. We have uh, stayed silent on a request by many, many countries to waive the intellectual property temporarily so that any country that wants to manufacture a COVID vaccine can do it. We have been completely silent on it. We've We've just not done anything on that. While hundreds of countries have approved it, including the United States has shown support for it. And so I felt that this is terrible for us because new variants and waves will come. Um, and we are already seeing sub-variants take off in many parts of the world. And this level of inequity cannot end well for us. So I basically was pleading with the with the uh, our Canadian leaders to do what is morally, ethically, scientifically right, do more to vaccinate the world. I'm going to be honest, Doc. I hadn't heard about you being interrupted uh, in front of that House of Commons Standing Committee. And, and I'm sitting here and I'm kind of, as, as you're giving us these important facts and, uh, and basically calling out Canada and other members of the international community in, in, the, in the so-called developed or first world uh, for silence and, and relative inaction uh, and maybe hypocrisy uh, might fit as well, talking about the importance of vaccines but not taking it seriously in an international context. But I can't get over, I'm still sitting here thinking about the fact, I mean, it, it almost sounds to me like, like the, the, what happened to you in front of that standing committee was almost a metaphor for for how you say the country's been treating this and that and that is well it, it wasn't just me the whole proceedings got disrupted all witnesses couldn't complete what they had been invited for because the whole thing got sidetracked into some manitoba lab related issue and essentially that was the end of the entire session so um it wasn't that that i was personally disrupted none of us were given a chance to speak because of the of the conflict or disagreement between the you know the conservatives and the liberals um, but it does make me worried that we are not cohesive in our uh, uh, in our plan. If you look at um, intent, I think the Canadian government's intent has been wonderful. Um, if you remember Rosemary Barton live end of the year interview with the Prime Minister Trudeau. Um, the last question she asked him uh, was, you know, how do you know things are going to get better with this pandemic? And Prime Minister Trudeau said, uh, when COVID vaccination rates in other countries go up, how do we end this everywhere so that we can end it here? So on paper, we want to see the world vaccinated. In practice, I just cannot understand how we could only donate 15 million doses when there are 2.8 billion people unvaccinated, our reputation globally is that we are one of the biggest vaccine holders in the world. That's what our international reputation is. And I just can't understand why we could not have done. Last year, there was so much vaccines we were sitting, down, uh, sitting on and the world was in flames, literally, when the Delta variant was ripping through the world. Even vaccines that we said wasn't good enough for us, AstraZeneca, J&J. Even that we have not uh, donated in a timely manner. And we've just completely stayed silent on um, the intellectual property waiver. Uh, my, my point, in, which I also made in my uh, written statement to the House of Commons was that Canada 
more than other countries should have understood why domestic manufacturing is so critical. If you remember, Ryan, when vaccines first became available, we had no ability to manufacture in Canada, right? We were begging for other countries to export vaccines to us. We were in the queue, we were scrambling, we were, we were longing for those shipments to arrive from US, Europe or wherever. And now we have the vaccine manufacturing ability. We have a Canadian made vaccine called Medicago. Moderna is starting its uh, manufacturing in Montreal, uh, which as you saw is a big news over the weekend. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau was here in Montreal to, to open that, inaugurate that initiative. We finally learned how critical is it for a country to make its own vaccines in a crisis. Now, why would we not extend that courtesy to low and middle income countries? Do they not need a shot? at making their own life-saving vaccines in a crisis? Why do we block that? What is the earthly purpose of blocking someone else from making life-saving products in a crisis? This is what I can't understand. You neither donate, nor do you allow and support other countries to make their own. Then do we just let millions of people die? Do we just let this pandemic continue in year four, year five? Because this virus is not gonna sit back and wait. It's just ripping through country after country and bad mutations will happen and another terrible variant will come away and again, we'll be in this desperate healthcare crisis. When will we learn that this pandemic is not going anywhere until we do what we should have done right from get go? put out the fire all over the world, not just for ourselves. We're talking to Dr. Madhu Pai out of McGill University. You can read his post, Canada Should Support Vaccine Self-Sufficiency at microbiologycommunity.nature.com. And we'll tweet that out from our official account after you and I speak, uh, doctor. Why do you think that Canada has been, as you say, silent on uh, issues involving, in particular, intellectual property. Do you, do you think it has something to do with the action that, I mean, it's falling now, but action people have seen with, with you know, Moderna stockholders have been pretty happy, for example. I mean, has this been an opportunity uh, for investors, the government trying to stay out of the, of the free market, government trying to stay out of the business of business? What do you think it is? I mean, the economists I'm, referred yeah. to this as the opportunity of a century, but they're talking about vaccinating the world. They're not talking about cashing in. No. So it turns out that, uh, you know, first of all, I, a point that I made in my piece, which I think is really important for all listeners to know, nearly every vaccine for COVID that's been developed has been heavily funded by people like you and I. In other words, taxpayer dollars have been spent, incredible amounts of taxpayer dollars have been spent. For example, Moderna received billions from the American government, right? That's paid for by taxpayers, and yet Moderna refuses to share its vaccine recipe to African countries that want to manufacture their mRNA vaccine. BioNTech, Pfizer-BioNTech, BioNTech was heavily funded by the German government. Medicago received massive amounts of money from Canadian government. The Indian vaccine, uh, Covaxin, received huge amounts of money from the Indian government. So when we, and the Oxford AstraZeneca, again, UK government, every vaccine has received massive amounts of taxpayer dollars. Now, despite that level of public investment, when it comes to sharing the technology with countries in distress, none of these pharma companies have come up to, the, to, to, to do it. The old 
the traditional capitalistic model has still continued unabated third year into the pandemic and they're making billions of dollars in profits billions of dollars and they clearly don't want to give up on that at all it doesn't matter how many million people die what how many variants they just stick to their business model that's how wall street works and that's what wall street rewards and governments have been not been able to convince these companies to to say we we funded you you got to make this accessible to the rest of the world so the canadian government i have a hunch is is not able to to reckon with the big pharma industry and those big pharma folks are heavily into lobbying and advocacy and they they have the years of the leadership and this is happening in every country well you i mean you want the canadian government to step up right you you say canada's got to immediately and, and publicly support this this trips waiver not just for vaccines, but for tests and treatments as well. You say Canada's got to fund the World Health Organization, the African Union to to promote self-sufficiency. Canada's going to honor its pledge and donate 200 million vaccines within the next six months, not allowing them to to expire in stockpiles. We continue to yes. see that reporting. Yes. And then you say yes. Canada's got to provide more funding for delivery. So is this just politically unpopular? I mean, why do you think this isn't a priority for government? Is it tougher to justify international expenditures? I feel like I know the answer already. Yes, I think uh, right throughout this pandemic, nationalism has been the only approach for every country, right? Mm. America first, Canada first. We've never been able to see this as a global crisis, right? I mean, things like uh, climate change and pandemics, by definition, are global events, right? They are not intended to affect only one corner of the world. And the solution also cannot be found in just protecting one corner of the world. Think about it like this, and I give this example a lot. We know BC last year and this year was ravaged by wildfires and then flooding of unprecedented proportions, right? But can we just protect BC from climate crisis? No, we cannot protect just BC. We got to protect the whole world and our solutions have to be global. Pandemics demand us to think beyond our narrow country boundaries. And yet politicians are incentivized to only think about nationalism, populism, and they cannot think beyond their next elections, right? And they cannot think behind their voting base, right? If that is Ontario, they can only think about Ontario. They can't even think about Quebec or Canada. So I have a bad feeling that the way our leaders have performed during this COVID crisis is like a harbinger of what they might do when climate crisis arrives at our doorstep, which I think it already has. And it terrifies me that our isolationist populist tendencies will take us down a terrible path where instead of global collaboration to solve a big crisis, we will go inwards looking and we will only seek to protect ourselves and close our boundaries. Look what we did when when the Omicron variant came. We just banned travel from a bunch of African countries for no fault of theirs. That virus was everywhere, but we punished a bunch of African countries. Instead of giving vaccines to African countries, we banned them from entering our country. That is how our politicians are incentivized to think. And that is what appeals to the the populism. And that's what they think will win them elections. Um, Nobody is being rewarded to do the right thing in our political structure here. That's well said, doctor. I guess we could we could focus on that angle. Uh, 
the angle of international diplomacy or banning travel from certain nations or shutting down flights. We could talk about the idea of homegrown labs and research. I mean, I think that Canada's self-sufficiency, a different context than the self-sufficiency we're discussing here globally, but Canada's inability through this to manufacture its own vaccines, I think, would justify an investment in in more public lab resources, etc. Just giving you a couple of options here on the multiple choice question that is, of all of the issues that we've considered or all of the things to process and take action on as a result of this pandemic, what's one thing that you would like to see resonate and stick here in Canada, whether it's public policy, investment, attitude, what's one thing? I think it's clear to me that Canada cannot uh, survive alone, right? In other words, we are not an island we the rest of the world needs to be okay for us to be okay we saw that how much us what happens in us impacts us right and and us is our neighbor but if you think along similar lines we are a very uh, you know we are an open country people are coming flights are coming in by the hundreds people are moving migration is happening we cannot afford to think that just giving ourselves more and more vaccines without covering the whole world can end well. We got to start thinking that this is a global crisis that demands a global solution. What can Canada do proportionate to our income, our GDP, so on and so forth. Um, I definitely want us to see um, support the TRIPS waiver because it sends a clear signal that every country should have the ability to manufacture in a crisis. That is the bare minimum we should we should be doing. We should not stand in the way of other countries wanting to be self-reliant. What I think uh, low-income countries are asking, uh, Ryan, they're not asking for charity. They're saying, we don't need your donations. Just let us make vaccines and survive, right? And what on earth, what logic is it that we would block such a request from other countries, right? Especially in a one in a century crisis, if we cannot see it in our hearts, to think differently and give the vaccine recipe. Um, there was a beautiful uh, video on, you know, um, if there's a fire in your house, you put out the fire and then you hold the water because there might be a fire in future. But if your neighbor's house is burning, you help give the water to your neighbor. Otherwise that fire will come back and, 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 and burn your house. We got to start thinking along those lines. I think the most selfish thing we could do as Canadians is to help vaccinate the world. It's the most selfish thing we could do because that's what's going to keep us safe. Otherwise, there will be another bad variant and we will be back in a crisis all over again in a few months and this will never end for us. So just to do the right thing, morally, ethically, scientifically, economically, there is only one solution, help protect the whole world. And I would love to see Canada finally doing that beyond just talking. Doctor, before we thank you for your time, I want to ask you here at home, uh, what's one angle related to this pandemic, to COVID-19 that you're following? We're seeing conversation, I mean, in our home province of Alberta, I think somewhat of a striking statistic for for people that really haven't been paying attention. It's not been leading the headlines anymore, but Alberta averaged nine deaths a day uh, just last week, 63 deaths due to COVID-19, including a couple people in their 30s. Uh, we're, we're seeing numbers rise across the country. We're seeing some encouraging uh, information and conversation around young kids. Like We're talking like zero to five, having access to vaccines at some point soon. And obviously, people recognize the importance of that. What's the story you're keeping an eye on as, as a Canada Research Chair in Epidemiology? 
I'm just worried about premature declarations that this pandemic crisis is over. I mean, how can it be over when there are so many variants just taking off in country after country? I want us to use common sense protections that we can use on a daily basis to keep ourselves safe. Masking is such an easy thing to do. Clean uh, air, air filters, you know, ventilation, stuff like that can go a long way in, in making this place safer for us. And of course, getting vaccinated and getting the third dose to as many people as possible, including kids, gives us the protection. And then once beyond that, we got to help vaccinate the world. That's how we're going to end this crisis. Love it. That's Dr. Madhu Pai, uh, Professor, Canada Research Chair in Epidemiology and Global Health at McGill University on the Strategic Advisory Group of Experts uh, in the World Health Organization for In Vitro Diagnostics and the Associate Director of the McGill TB Center. Hang on. I'm calling an audible doctor. I was about to let you go. But as I read your credentials and thanking you for your time, I got to ask real quick. Similarities or differences, general observation in how the world treated or treats tuberculosis versus COVID-19. Is is, is there an observation to be made there? Oh, yes. We wrote a whole piece in the Atlantic magazine about this. Um, At one point in time, TB was very common in Canada. I don't know if you know, it still is a big problem in the Inuit communities. Inuit communities in Canada have a 300-fold higher TB uh, incidence than the rest of Canada. And when, but most Canadians don't even know about it, they won't talk about it because TB primarily affects poor people, black people, people of color and indigenous people. And it doesn't even get one millionth of the investment that we saw COVID-19 get in terms of vaccines. We're still using a hundred year old vaccine for TB, believe it or not, even today. So there's night and day difference between how the world has approached uh, COVID-19 because when privileged people, when high income countries get impacted, money is poured into a disease. When it affects primarily black, brown or indigenous people, nobody gives a damn. Wow. Uh, that piece, uh, the pandemic is following a very predictable and depressing pattern. Is that the piece you're referring to? Exactly. All right. right. You can read it at theatlantic.com. I'm already looking forward to our next conversation. What a reality check. A real talk from Dr. Madhu Pai. Thank you for this, doctor. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. You stay well. You bet. Yeah, you stay well as well, doc. Uh, wow. I'm looking forward to the podcast dropping on this one because I know that we're going to hear from a lot of people. His His conversation about you can't simply protect or prepare BC or a certain jurisdiction for climate change and referencing that or stacking that up against COVID-19. It's one of those things where you go, well, obviously, but maybe it's not so obvious. Maybe that's not driving the conversations we have or the perspectives we have on this kind of thing. Appreciate the good doctor's time. Coming up in just a moment, positive reflections in the form of an interview. We wanted to shine the spotlight on a group that's doing something very cool this week, and and they're putting a call out, a call to action, so to speak. And so uh, we're happy to open that up to the Real Talk audience. But first, when it comes to protecting our family members, when it comes to our health and our overall holistic health, A big part of that is you advance in age or perhaps have special care requirements is reliable, trustworthy home care. And that's what Infinity Healthcare is all about. If you go to infinity-8.ca, you can learn more about their community engagement and their personality matching service. If you have a family member that wants to age in place or that wants to stay home, regardless of their circumstance, but they need 
some assistance. And it could be 24 hours a day. It could be a drop-in, maybe an hour a day, half an hour a day. Whatever the custom need is, that's exactly what Infinity's team works to find out. Make sure your parents are eating the meals that are being provided. Make sure they're getting their medication. Make sure that they have somebody to talk to on a daily basis. You can also find Infinity Healthcare under the Sponsors tab on our website. That's also where you can browse the new and pre-owned inventory at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Their new inventory includes that 2022 Dodge Challenger that everybody's talking about. I think they nailed that vintage vibe with that classic muscle car. But of course, with all the technology that you'd expect in the 2023 models, the 2022 models right now ready to be checked out and everybody's getting excited about what's coming up at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. They're proud of their sales team and their service that they provide that keeps people coming back to Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. And our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you that it's never too soon. I mean, it's May already. You want a project done by July? You got that family gathering coming up, the anniversary celebration in August? You better get in touch with their team today to make sure that that outdoor space that you love is brought to life the best potential that it can achieve. Eden Landscaping's been earning the return business and the referrals of their happy customers for more than 20 years. 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, we welcome your emails to the show and appreciated this one from Jillian, who was tuned in on Friday for my conversation with conservative leadership candidate Jean Charest. Uh, She says, okay, so... I just bought a party membership for the first time ever uh, because Mr. Sheree presented himself so well on your show. When was the last time that we heard a capital C conservative actually answer questions and not blame Justin Trudeau for everything? It was very refreshing, says Jillian. Now, I have to say that I'm totally biased because I grew up under Sheree's leadership in Quebec back when he was premier. Not only do I feel he did a good job handling the brattiest province in the country, says Jillian. Seriously, Quebec is entitled, probably because we're a huge voting block. Our province is so beautiful. We're pretty good looking, and we also have the best food and our humility, and my goodness, we're so humble. But anyway, says Jillian, if you can control demanding Quebecers, you can rein in loony conservatives. Now, she says, I only bought a one-year membership because I don't want to have anything to do with this party if Mr. Charest isn't the leader. But if he wins, I'll gladly renew my membership for longer. Now, this doesn't mean I'll definitely vote for him for prime minister, but I love the idea of finally having a choice. The CPC hasn't given us anything worth voting for since Stephen Harper decided to focus on Justin Trudeau's hair. Here's hoping for a brighter, populist-free future in Canada a girl can dream that from Jillian. If you want to respond to what Jillian had to say or share your own take on something, you know where to find us. You can also use the connect link on our website, ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you can find our real talk question of the week presented by our research and strategy partners at Y station. You find it under connect at ryanjesperson.com this week. We're referencing the story of the week last week, and that is that Tesla and SpaceX owner Elon Musk has made a $44 billion offer to buy Twitter. The board's agreed to recommend it to shareholders, and this has set Twitter ablaze. And this week, we want you to sound off on the potential sale and what it means. We're doing a quick blast on this week's question of the week just a few of them we want it to take you less than a minute and we appreciate the hundreds of you that we know will chime in to give us a real sense of where the audience lands on this 
Now, the first show of every week, thanks to our friends at Kubi Energy. We focus on something that fills our bucket, a good news story, something to get our week started off on the right foot. We call it Positive Reflections. And in this week's edition, a bit of a change of pace. Instead of reading one of your emails or your tweets or showing a video that you've shared with us via our email inbox, we want to talk to somebody live. And it's a real pleasure to welcome to the program the founder of Calio Collective, Lena Haley. A good morning to you, Lena, and, and welcome to the show. And thanks for making time for us this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm so honored to be part of your positive reflection. Yeah, well, listen, we want every week to focus on something that makes us feel good about what our fellow humans are being. And that certainly qualifies you and, and what your team is doing, supporting single moms leading up to Mother's Day. Can you tell us about the initiative? Yeah, so as an organization, Kaleo Collective helps support single moms and their children. You know, we we just believe in helping um, support those women as they move forward in their life and to create uh, sustainable families that, you know, really break off those cycles of emotional and financial poverty. So as an organization, that is the heart and uh, soul of who we are and underpins everything we do. And so you know, as we look forward and anticipate Mother's Day coming up, you know, we started asking ourselves the question of how do we help to support families in this instance? And that um, that led us to the Love You Mama event. Yeah. So and tell what, us about this one. This is this is for the kids kind of in a way to be able to show some love to mom. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, single moms are pulling double duty all the time. Right. And and that goes the same thing for and maybe even more so for big events like Mother's Day, like Christmas, you know, Easter, all of that. So what we have done is we've created an event that sort of turns that on its head a little bit and allows the child to actually be the one doing something for mom on Mother's Day. So um, what that looks like is we set up this beautiful shop at London Dairy Mall and we um, allow children of single mom families to come into our little shop. And this year they get to create a custom bouquet uh, for mama um, with all of these beautiful flowers from Charmed Floral Design in St. Albert. And then they get to pick a little gift and they take home a sweet treat. And it's just, it's a beautiful day where they get to be the ones behind the surprise for mom for Mother's Day. Amazing. So you've been doing it in past years and people can support it and check out the details at kaleocollective.ca. That's K-A-L-E-O, kaleocollective.ca. But my understanding is, is that demand is way up this year. You're, you're hoping to really, really shatter the previous numbers. Yes. Oh, yes. We did not foresee um, the event taking off this year. You know, like you said, we have run it in past years. Every year it has grown. This will be our seventh year doing it. Um, but last year we had 100 children. And this year we have got 500 500, nearly 500 children this year are asking to participate in this event. It's free for the kids and the moms to come and participate. But of course, you know, it's not free for us to put it on. So we are hoping that perhaps some of the Real Talk fans will help us adopt a mom this Mother's Day. Um, it's $50. You can adopt one or 21 and uh, take some of those kids off of our waiting list because right now half the kids are still on the waiting list. Wow. So 50 bucks to, to, to make somebody's Mother's Day an unbelievably special experience. Uh, you've got 500 
little ones or 500 families that are hoping to be able to take advantage of this, which is both heartwarming and also at the same time a bit of a gut check for us, isn't it, that these resources are needed and that this is something that the community can help out on. What's been the response in past? What have kids and what have moms told you in past years? Oh, you know, it it's always one of those events that really catches you right in the heart. You know, the kids, when they come into the shop, I mean, their eyes just glow because they're so excited. In some ways, they kind of feel like they're sneaking one over on their mom, right? They're like, she's never going to guess what I picked. So the kids are excited, so excited and so full of pride. They're so, um, you know, they just love their mom so much. And so to be able to do this for them feels really good and fills their cup up. And, you know, the moms are quite emotional as well because, they recognize that if we didn't have an event like this, that Mother's Day would go on just as any other day for them, right? Where they're doing the cooking, doing the cleaning, doing the caring. So this sort of interrupts that cycle and that routine and allows them to be honored and spoiled a little bit. So the moms actually feel really, really touched by it. And, you know, one thing that I think is really interesting to note that not a lot of people think about when you think about single moms, but we actually have a large number of young widows that we work with. So oftentimes they're not just just feeling, you know, um, tired on Mother's Day, but they're also still grieving the loss of a spouse who used to do these things for them. So for the children to be able to step into that space is, uh, is really, really um, impactful for the whole family. That's such a great reminder. Uh, Lady, before I thank you for your time, uh, I, I wanted to ask you bigger picture uh, about some of the other programs and services and resources that Kaleo Collective offers and makes available to moms. And again, people can check it out. K-A-L-E-O, KaleoCollective.ca. Can, can you tell us about like the, the Single Mom Support Group and the Single Mom Resource Course and Meals for Mama and, and Launch Your Life? You've got a lot going on. Yeah, we do, you know, and we are, you know, the programs and services that we run are, you know, so um, like everything we do is just really heart-centered. So we it's important to us that we find out from the moms what it is that they need and how we can support them right in their needs. So the single mom support group runs every week. Um, during the pandemic, we pivoted it to, you know, online via Zoom. And that was really interesting for us because we learned that for some moms, that was just so much easier. We do it at nine o'clock at night, um, every Thursday from nine to 10 p.m. on Zoom. And it is a way where they cannot be alone in the evenings. And they're typically used to being alone when their kids are in bed. So we do that. Um, and sometimes we take that show on the road and we do it in person, you know, now that we're able to gather again. So uh, we have some, many of our leaders are actually moms within the Kaleo family. So Linnea, for example, plans park play dates and meetups and things like that all over, all over the place, um, you know, at, at different parks in, in and around the Edmonton area. So our support group is a way for them to learn some information and just to connect really deeply. Um, and then the single mom resource course is sort of when those moms are ready to sort of build some tools and skills in their lives that make life just a little bit easier. Some of them aren't the most fun, you know, budgeting, meal planning, time management, those things, but it are, but they are those big rocks so that they can make sure that they've got all their ducks in a row and then they can have um, bits of time that they can find in their life. So the single mom resource course is really for moms that are on that growth track and are really looking to grow. And then we offer, you know, um, some help with psychological services for women that might find themselves in need of some subsidization there. Uh, really everything that we do focuses on three things, connection. So how do we connect them together? How do we help them heal? And how do we help them grow? 
And we let the moms, for the most part, lead those initiatives and tell us what they need that we can do to to come around them and support them. I wouldn't be surprised if this uh, interview, this positive reflection prompts some people to make a more regular or recurring uh, contribution or, or, or support donation to Kaleo Collective. Uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, to connect with you, Lena Haley, the founder of Kaleo Collective. And thanks for making time for us. Best of luck with your event coming up this next weekend. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for having me and have a wonderful rest of your week. Yeah, you as well. So Real Talkers, here's the call to action. You can check out kaleocollective.ca. We'll tweet it from our official account. And please do consider showing them, those families, your valuable support as we head toward Mother's Day. There you have it. Last week's positive reflections, digging up a safe out of a river in England and something a little closer to home this week. And I love what she had to say. We always want to fill people's buckets on Monday. (laughs) Thanks to our friends at Kubi Energy. Of course, you can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca and you can send us your positive reflection anytime to our email inbox talk at ryanjesperson.com. Tomorrow, we'll continue to focus on the stories that matter most to you. A little bit later on this week, I want to give you a quick heads up on Wednesday. We'll talk to Ray Parker Jr. and Franz Stein. They are the team, the dynamic duo behind that film, Who You Gonna Call? The opening night feature at Northwest Fest. And we invite you, if you subscribe to our email, to check out your inbox. We want to see some of you cashing in on that offer for free tickets. It's just 30 pairs, so it's going to go fast. Make sure you do that. Coming up a little bit later on this week as well, our Innovation Real Talk roundtable that's on friday we're going to get our minds blown with some of the amazing things that are happening right here in our neck of the woods these are the folks in the spotlight of edify's new innovation issue for may all of that's coming up here on real talk this week make it a great monday friends and we'll talk to you soon real talk is hosted by ryan jesperson Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Sterlego. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.